welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall, and I am with my guys, Todd and Rowett, to talk about some Formula One. We've got an off week from racing this week, but we got so much drama. It's, it's, I mean, so much drama in the LBC, you know? It's hard being Snoop D-O-double-G. Yeah, I was going to say... It- <laughs> I do like that new, what is it, Corona commercial with Andy Samberg. Uh, you are the Snoop D-O-double-G for me, Todd. Every time I want to talk to you, I'll be like, what do you think, T-Yeezy? And then I'm waiting for you to be like, you can call me Todd. And then I'm like, okay, T-Yeezy. But anyway, I digress. The, with, the theme of this episode is storylines we'll never see on Drive to Survive. Because my goodness, there is a lot of tea that's being spilled. And some of it's racially motivated, and I'm not here for that. So let's just do better aforementioned Formula One legend, and I'm now putting that term loosely in quotes because your whole legacy is diluted now. But we will get to that gentleman when we get to that gentleman. T-Easy, how are you doing? I'm better than he is probably (laughs) right now. I don't know why you would say that in an interview, but yeah, like you said, we'll get to that. I'm good. I'm here. I'm ready for Silverstone. It's going to be good. Listen to Crofty say maggots and Beckett's about 400 times. I'm waiting for a brunch spot to open up in Brooklyn called Maggots and Beckett's and have it be like Formula One themed because I think that's the next way. (laughs) Because we were chatting about this pregame, if you will, and we've all kind of come to the conclusion that Formula One is probably at its apex. Once again, bad pun of the day. That's me. Because we're hearing so many different news stories about how we're starting to see the Formula One influence outside of the sporting sense. So, Nick, what were you talking about earlier? There's something going on with everybody's favorite checked out driver, Daniel Ricciardo? I mean, apparently, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's going he's gonna to transition his career to, uh, to making films and making movies situational comedies it's just yeah because i mean there's nothing more comedic right now than the last two years of your career daniel i digress because you know i've got two big daniel ricardo fans here and it's really interesting to me that he is the most likable driver out of everybody we've seen in this drive to survive era but like what does my man know about um weaving in a b story with an a story to get a resolution the likes we haven't seen since Steinfeld. But Todd, you're the biggest Danny Rick guy. Like, do you see him being behind the camera? Is he going to be occasional guest star? Like, what do you see Danny Rick's Hollywood career shaping up to be? It's slow and painful. Just kind of like his current race season, I think. I don't know. I'm not really... I, I saw Aaron call that out in the, in the Discord. Um... And I'm not really excited about it because it means two things to me. One, he really is potentially checked out on racing and looking for other avenues, which he's like the most American, Americanized driver, I guess, on the grid, probably. Um, he spends a lot of time here, but he, he's I don't think like he's really funny just him being himself. But if you've seen him, like, do, like, any sort of scripted thing or, you know, acting in, like, the McLaren videos from last year, real bad. Real, real bad. So, I'm not really excited about it. And the the second thing is, the like, I don't know what involvement he really will have on the show. I don't think he'll be in the show. I think he's, like, co-executive producing it or something like that. Uh, but it is going to be, like, some f- form of scripted drama uh 
with the surrounding. Stop <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, maybe, maybe they'll have his tires ready in that pit stop. Um, or I guess that was Lando. But it, yeah, I, 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 it's some sort of scripted drama surrounding being a race car driver will take place, at least somewhat in a paddock. Things like that. That's all we know so far. Yeah, I mean, I think the well, comparison as, I was as, kind of uh, making in my mind is at the early part of the century, poker was everywhere. And I always thought that that would be the worst case scenario from a Formula One renaissance because, yeah, right now you can't turn any form of media, whether it's a podcast, a movie, a TV show, without seeing some sort of passing reference to Formula One. And now it's slowly kind of evolving into the zeitgeist of things. So if Netflix can have a NASCAR show starring Kevin James, give me a Formula One show with super fat Danny Ricardo because I think that's the only way to combat that. <laughs> I don't even know how to I mean, there is there is one obvious reason God. that his his McLaren skits don't turn out well, right? It's because he's distracted by having to drive why, a car. Why is that? Now, <laughs> it's it, Nick. Are you there? Did we lose? Yeah, you? it's because he's having to drive a Formula One car. It's too much work to do that and work on his acting skills. I'm ready for him to be generic best friend number three in the next romantic comedy because somebody's like, we can do something with this guy. And we're like, no, you can't. Because Danny Ricardo is that, what I would almost call a normal funny person in the sense that if you give him things to think about, He's not funny. Let that dude do instinct because that's where he shines. I feel like that's how he is as a driver. I mean, his whole nom de plume, if you will, was the late, uh, the latest of the late breakers. And that's something that I don't think there's a technical specificity around it. It's always a gut feel. And so it would not surprise me that my man doesn't do well with pre-rehearsed material. He is a character and creature of instinct and improvisation and you sometimes gotta let people shine don't try to micromanage them because then it becomes painful because i do think that's one other thing lando kicks his ass in which is he's got a much more genuine humorous persona when it comes to formula one propaganda videos like what we see from mclaren and alpine and all these other teams just let them be them let them stay behind the scenes i don't know i thought about it a lot earlier when i saw that article pop up like, oh, is that too much of a distraction? Like kind of Nick mentioned, uh, is that him really checking out on racing? But like, let's look at Lewis Hamilton. He's got his hands in everything. He's got his own race team with that, uh, what is it, Extreme E. He's mm-hmm. got like fashion interests, musical interests. Yeah, yeah, his musical interests. He's like all over the map. And he's still, I know he's not having a great season, and he's getting just absolutely slapped by George Russell, but he's still performing, I guess, right? So, I don't know. We like to wax poetic about the end of Daniel Ricciardo, uh, but I don't know. We'll see it at the end of the year. Yeah, it's definitely the most ongoing piece of content that we consistently comment on. So there is that. But something about the Lewis Hamilton film project is he's got Brad Pitt's production company backing it. So I'm not as worried. Whereas Daniel Ricardo just has the generic Netflix banner around it. And for every Stranger Things, there is a fuller house in terms of the quality of programming from Netflix. So 
I need to know a little bit more about the particulars. Like, who's his team principal slash executive director? And, like, who else is going to be in this? Because that tells me a lot about how, whether that show will succeed or fail. Right now, if it's just Danny Rick, I'm not, I'm not necessarily holding out for season two. But I could be wrong. Yeah, that's a great point. But it's not on Netflix. It's on Hulu. So oh, that, tell, that tells you the quality of the content that's probably going to come out of it. No, no shade to Hulu, but it's not as good. Yeah, Hulu's best stuff is all the FX stuff that they exclusively stream there. So if anybody has any recommendations, let me know. Uh, we need something to break up the Love Island power episodes that me and the wife are going through. And the bear looks tempting, but that's neither here nor there. But speaking of Lewis Hamilton and having his hands in many different pots, this latest controversy with Lewis is kind of scary in the sense that he didn't even ask for any of this. But this makes me a bigger Lewis Hamilton fan. So, Todd, could you walk us through what exactly happened? Uh, sure. So, apparently in November of last year, Nelson Piquet, former former world champion, Brazilian guy, gave an interview uh, talking about Silverstone last year, I think it was, Mm -hmm. and how basically it was Lewis's fault, said something, I don't know exact the translation, but something about Lewis swerving or not turning or... Whatever. I will find the quote, but yeah, and he uh, he basically said it in in a couple of different things, but called him like that black guy or something like that, and then the worst part went on to use the n word about uh, Lewis, and this was get this interview was given like I said November of last year, and for some reason just kind of caught the light. Of, the public um, and is now trending on scene in Brazil. No, I mean, I think the Lewis thing with Brazil is really interesting because of the fact that he's always been considered an adopted son and he's had that, I don't want to say infatuation, but there is an homage that anytime you think of Lewis in Brazil, it's Lewis waxing poetic on Ayrton Senna's legacy and Ayrton Senna's influence on Lewis's career. So I just thought it was kind of interesting that. Okay, yeah, Nelson Piquet is Dutch, so apologies. I thought for some reason he was also Brazilian, so ignore that transition. But at the same time, that person, in this case, Lewis, deals more with factors that have nothing to do with his racing ability than any other driver on the grid. And yeah, it's an easy cosmetic thing if we want to be really cynical and simple-minded about it. But at the same time, he should not have to deal with that. Like, this strengthens his claim. And to the point that I think Nick was making, and hopefully Nick can elaborate this further, it's like, this just makes me want to root for the guy more. And I hope he gets number eight. And I hope he almost gets a Jesse Owens-like vindiction about it. Because of the fact that he needs to show up all these hoity-toity older guard people that have these outdated ideas about what their sport should and shouldn't look like. And this is not cool. There's no reason or justification to ever use that type of inflammatory language, let alone the fact that maybe some of this is also influenced by the fact that Nelson Piquet's daughter is currently dating one Max Verstappen. And I don't want to cause a linkage between that because that just happens to be coincidence. But at the same time, like do better. And Max, like tell your boy to shut his mouth because you have already kind of had strikes one and two in terms of racist and ableist behavior. Yeah, I mean, he sure has. It's it's hard for me to not get worked up about it because I have been alongside friends that have dealt with this shit all my life. And 
frankly, I just don't care. If that's how you feel, you can fuck off, right? Like, plain and simple. Like, I'm not speaking for everybody here, but, like, that's how I feel. If, you, if you're if you offended that we talk about sure. these types of things, then you don't need to listen to this podcast. Go listen to another podcast. It's, it's not that I don't want to have these conversations and help people understand why these are problematic. But like that example that you use, Rohit, if you take it, take it out of Formula One and put it in our daily lives, you're talking about somebody who you are competitive with, live with, spend 23 to 26, 20, 30 week, weeks, weekends a year next to. And regardless of how I feel about you as a human being, if we are competing, we're competing. But like if somebody is racist towards you, I'm going to stand up for you. I don't have to like you for me to stand up for what's right. That's the problem with Formula One right now. And I think, you know, there was you mentioned Todd earlier, you know, he's buddies with Ecclestone and all those. It's it's the old guard, right? They all hate to see anything change, you know, and especially with racing drivers. I love them and hate them at the same time because they will have an incredible career, entertain you, be an incredible, like, you know, just inspiring person for a handful of years. And then as they get older and they see somebody younger, better, faster, more consistent. And to your point, Todd, about Lewis's off the track stuff. I mean, look, this guy is a, an amazing human being. Like, I don't think that there's anybody that could argue against it. You could argue all you want about like how people maybe whine on the track, right? Because that's a part of Formula One. You could argue about the politics of Formula One. But as far as just being a, a, a good human being, I there's, a, there's less than a handful of people that I would put up there even near Lewis Hamilton. And like, I definitely am biased because I just genuinely like the guy and like what he does and want to support him. But absolutely, I want him to win because like, fuck this racist shit. Like, can't we just move past this? There's just no reason for it to exist. And I think Formula One, it's like mind blowing to me that we have these old people commenting on it and connected to it in a way that like they just don't. They don't really have any purpose of being involved in the sport anymore, if that's what they're bringing to it. But I'll end there because I could definitely go on for quite a while on this. No, it was well said. Yep. It's there's no place for it. Um, it continues to rear its ugly head because we have this, as Nick mentioned, the old guard trying to like stay in power or control things. Like this is tangentially related, but I feel like that's why this asshole, the new president of the FIA, Ben Sulem Sulemem, whatever the fuck, yep. I can't say his name. I say it like you say. Show going hey, you. Hey, let's not dip into future okay. content because that's going to be a moment of levity we need after this intense conversation. <laughs> yeah, um, but he's—I feel like that's why he's digging into the jewelry thing so hard because Lewis is the only one that's got it. Um, and I don't know. They just need to like open their eyes. Like we, the, the, the crazy thing to me is that this, I guess, came out like or came to light again like five days ago or something and not a peep from formula one like the body the news organization whatever you want to call it about this it came out on twitter uh and is now like making the rounds but nobody's talking about it so 
I don't know. I'm, I'm sure we'll hear something. The we comments really from. Touch. I'm sure Max will be asked about it, uh, considering he's dating the dude's daughter. Uh, that's that puts him in a tough spot for sure. But like, you just have to like strike that down wherever you can. No, and put it this way: if Max handles that with a touch of class and dignity, and shows a real frustration with his potential father-in-law. I will solely appreciate that about Max. I'm probably his least favorite. He's my least favorite driver on the grid and it has nothing to do with his actual driving. He's my one sport in a sense, anti-crush where I'm like, I'm just going to dislike this person for factors that have nothing to do with performance. But if you can show that maturity that we've slowly started seeing creep into the races, I think I will gladly eat that big slice of humble pie because he has that opportunity right now. Because to your point, Todd, Nothing has been said by the FIA, and granted, this is a United States-based podcast, and we've had some controversial things happen in the last couple of weeks, and the messaging that we've gotten from sports leagues has been silent, and I don't expect Formula One to be the one to break that trend, but Max, if you truly are the world champion and you're truly trying to show us that you're turned over to a new leaf, this is the ideal time to put on your dancing shoes, sir, and dance us a nice jig about how this is unacceptable, he's going to have to have a chat with this gentleman, and more importantly, have some sort of sign of solidarity with Lewis, because I do think there is a professional rivalry there, but I never once felt that there was anything more bubbling above the surface. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, we've we've already seen and we didn't really talk much about the jewelry stuff, but like we all know that that's strictly about Lewis. And if you're an American sports fan, you and, you know, you're as old as I am, you absolutely saw Allen Iverson go through this as like, OK, you're going to be the poster yes. child of, of how we reshape what we think our athletes should look like or dress like or be like or, you know, all those things. And, and to me, all of it's just bullshit. It's like, like I, I don't care what a driver dresses like or looks like or what, what like, I don't care about anything like that, that it's so superficial and it's so tired as an, as a, you know, sanctioning body or a sports organization to continue to do these things. And I do think that like with, with Max, in my opinion, his legacy becomes exponentially stronger if he speaks up about it because we're long past people being, you know, I don't know, top 100 most famous people in the world and not speaking their mind about things that are right and wrong. Right. Like, like we, we all have, you know, people to look up to that don't give a shit. They've been around for decades and the world right now, and maybe this is just my American lens that I'm looking at this through, but the world right now doesn't need any more people that just do one thing good and then disappear. They need people that lead the charge and, and rile people up to talk about making the changes. And that's why Lewis has been so respected, in my opinion. And I think you could take that to like, you know, talking about sneakers and Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, from my perspective, was the most criticized athlete on the planet because he never spoke up about anything. And even when he did speak up about something, he would play both sides of the card and donate to this and donate to the other side and just keep it really low key. But in recent years, he's actually changed that. And to me, it's like, wow, like, you know, this adds to who you are. Like, it's completely irrelevant to your basketball career, but I'm not going to take that out of my mind 
when I'm judging who you are and what you accomplished on the court, because it's all wrapped together at this point, right? Especially with social media, with the way that, you know, we ask these guys about everything, you know, like you can probably find a, an interview with any F1 driver about their favorite road bike, their favorite food, their favorite vacation spot. Well, if we're asking all those questions and they're answering and they add that to their resume, then I think that they should all be required at least not and you know, not required, required, but like in my mind, they need to be speaking up about those other things along with the things that don't really matter. I mean, to your point, Nick, Republicans by sneakers was the tagline, so to speak, if you want to call it that. But then at the same time, the point I think also I'm hoping to amplify that you've said so eloquently is the fact that we didn't need our athletes to be as, and I don't even want to use the word divisive, but it's harder being an athlete today because there's a lot more going on. And not only that, this thing right here will also amplify anything that you do. So whenever, and this is kind of a weird tangent, but sorry, listeners, indulge me as you always do. The reason why I think Jordan will never be caught by LeBron is he never had to play with this. He never had to chase a ghost the same way LeBron is chasing his ghost. But then, conversely, why I'm a LeBron guy is LeBron takes it upon himself to comment on social structures and social injustices. And I think to the point you were making, MJ's done that. And I'd like to think he's done it out of his own heart. And he does show a remorse there that previously we once lauded this dude for being the greatest killer to ever set foot on a court. And Lewis isn't that. But at the same time, Lewis maintains that level of dominance and he does it with a touch of grace that I don't think we've seen anybody do. Except he winds a lot on the track. So there you go. That's my one parting shot. I will disagree just to your last, very last statement because uh-huh. we have Seb. Sebastian Vettel is like an amazing human, whether he's past his prime or not, whatever. But they outlawed, you know political messaging on shirts uh, whenever two years ago, I think it was during the whole George Floyd thing and still to this day, Seb shows up to track wearing his, like in Montreal he did it, about the Canadian uh, tar sands thing that they're mining or refining or whatever Um, I, I don't know if he's getting fined for that I'm assuming he is or I don't know I think it, they just outlawed it on the podium, and unluckily for Seb, he's not on in a podium place in car right now. But he uh, he's still speaking out at every chance he gets, and I really admire that about him using his platform for for things that he can, you know, try to make yeah. an influence in. And the other thing about Seb, he's team cereal first over milk first, so I can respect that because I feel like that's the noblest of gestures he can make when it comes to, oh, don't tell me you're a team milk guy, Todd. No, God, I was going to say, is anybody on the grid a team milk first guy? Because they need to get... Maybe like, Juan Yujo, but that's no. just me practicing for later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we covered this topic. He actually, shout out... To Guan Yu Zhou, he was on the F1 Behind the Grid podcast this last week, and he is like the one I would say actual sneakerhead in, yep. in on the grid. Like they all wear, you know, Jays or off white stuff or or you know designer 
hype shoes, whatever. But he's like legit into it. Like he comes fitted every single race. So hey, Tommy's got to a him. Roshi rotation since we tied this back to the sneaker history recent episode. <laughs> he showed up in the, the LD Waffles, I think, in oh, Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, there's something about him that I like that he is more than held his own against Valtteri Bottas, who if we ever do that like mid-season award break, like that's my pick for most surprising drive. But Guan Yu Zhou is right behind him because he's not exactly shying away from the conflict. And yes, he's been a tad unlucky, but you know what? I'm going to root for the guy now that we know that his bona fides, if you will, from a sneaker perspective are valid and not somebody like Pierre Gasly, who I'm sure never wore Jordan 1 in his life before that interview and picture with NJ. Yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree. He he doesn't seem like the type, but you never know. People he can surprise like, you, you know? He's like a panda dunk wearer. <laughs> like, I don't mean yeah. that in a bad way. Like, again, tying it back to the most recent Sneaker History episode. Um, like he's like a panda dunk wear. Like yeah. he's he's wearing stylish shoes of the moment, but like it's not like he cares necessarily about like oh I like these Jordans. Like I want this specific Jordan one or whatever. He's just like oh that's a the same way like Lewis posted pictures recently wearing Mocha ones. Yeah, they're like they they do it in a fashionable sense, but not if tomorrow like trash bags on feet were a thing they would do that yeah no i mean nick i'm here's the billion dollar idea for the inevitable crossover between us and sneaker history we pick a driver and we come up with the sneaker that he wears because right now seb vettel is truly the monarch on the track and off the track as well and it's the monarch four because he's won four titles if i'm (laughs) correct todd you sure are He'd be in the the par, parley parlay. How do you say that? The Adidas parley thing. We're off yeah. the rails yeah, here. Parley, but Adidas, he, he would yeah. be into the sustainable shoes for sure. The Nike trash talk. Uh, what else is there? The Zoom hippie or space hippies? The space hippies. That'd be a good one. Yeah. Yep. Rustle this back in, Nick. Rustle it back in. And I, it, it is kind of interesting how how these guys, you know. Again, like, I don't know if this is going to send me right back down the rabbit hole, but I apologize. The the whole off the track thing, right, is that they're doing all this stuff for the most part. Most of these guys do all this stuff to get the attention off the track, right? Wearing Yeezys, wearing Jordans, wearing things that are going to be talking points. Uh, you know, it's it's all a part of the bigger picture of who they are. And that's smart. If you're if you're only thinking about racing your career's short, man. Like there's only one Alonzo, right? Like <laughs> nobody else is going to race in their forties. It's so rare. And to me, like you got to be thinking about all that stuff, which is why I just think if I, I don't think that every racer should come out and say, I'm for this or I'm against this just because, but we know these guys are passionate and that's where I just want to see them speak their truth. You either think about other things than racing and or have a short career or you're Max Verstappen and you have zero personality and you just that's all you know. So you just think about racing. No, he's got personality. It's if Iceman from Top Gear had no self-awareness and decided, you know what, 
he never got checked by his dad in his life. So he's just a tantrum with Iceman tendencies is my description of him. We're just well, we references. pick on Max a lot, but but I actually think that like I actually think that he's you know to, to what we've said right this 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 guy is really young still and he's got a long yes, way to is. mature and he's doing it a, he's very quickly on the track so I think it's just a matter of time and you know yeah I, I would love for him to speak out against this whole thing but I don't expect it to happen in a sense but if that's the no, case I mean, then maybe he yeah. uses it as a learning opportunity and comes back around in the future when it inevitably happens again because some old ass rich ass white dude you know doesn't like that lewis broke a record now you guys knew a little bit more about michael schumacher if he didn't suffer that unfortunate tragic incident what do you think his demeanor would be about this because right now every lewis win is another subtle chink in the armor of Michael Schumacher. Like, do you see him being a hospitable, kind older guard member, or would he also take his selective digs that sometimes may or may not be a little bit more personal and close to the chest? I mean, for me, like, I think of Schumacher as, like, the ultimate killer, like we were talking about how MJ was, but that was only on the track like the way that Mick talks about him now, about how good he was with family, how much he like put into being with his family and, you know, like having that. Uh, he almost know. seemed very domesticated despite being the best at what he does. And well, yeah, like as much as you can like be domesticated and like learn how to fly your own private jet. Like it's there's obviously <laughs> that balance or whatever. But sure. to me, like all accounts were that like on the track he will run you into a wall off the track or like sub- subsequently like after the wreck is over he'll be like hey are you okay like in a serious way he'll send you the rarest nicest flower bouquet you've ever seen as you're yeah. holed up in the hospital I don't yeah, know if we'll ever get show to show up like, at your kid's birthday with see that bal- again balloons and, and, since yeah. he's like it's a hidden tragedy. by the uh, Illuminati but we'll see I mean, I, de- I definitely feel the same way as Todd. I think that, I, I mean, I think that after taking time off from racing, Michael would probably come back and be a team owner. You would probably see him supporting the sport and pushing the sport forward. But yeah, absolutely killer on track. And I think that's that's honestly the nature of the best, right? Like they're able to separate that and, and that, that competitive spirit like, you know, I don't want to pick on on Michael Jordan, but like most people don't take things personally when it's like, you know, shooting jumpers at the 24 hour fitness. Right. Like, you know, there's competitiveness and then there's like obsessiveness. And I think that like Michael seems very calculated. Michael Schumacher, I should say, seemed very calculated about all that stuff off the course, off the track. And I think that's, you know, unfortunate, you know, like, I mean, it's sad to not have him around the racing. It's especially with Mick, like, you know, that he would just be excited to see his kid out there and racing. And, you know, I think that if, yeah, I, it's, it's just rare that you see, I don't know, like, 
and maybe this is just me like, you know, going down that rabbit hole of, of, you know, being a Max hater, but like, it's rare that you see the, the dad show up and be so negative, so involved, you know, it's like, the, it's the same thing with, uh, you know, what's his name? Your alkali, you know, it's like, you just. Mazep uh, instead. Yeah. Mazepin. Yeah. Yep. And I just, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird thing. I feel like we could, we could go down a, a quite a rabbit hole there of, of like, you know, racers that, that are just like offering so much more off the track that we just, I don't know. It's, it's why it's impossible for me to separate the, the two. Right. And, and, obviously let go of this part of the conversation that we've now tried to exit multiple times. How about you uh, change up the, uh, the flow of the conversation by reading our reviews? God damn it, guys. Okay. My, my, my inquest into not taking this off ramp exit have failed. So yes, there's a daily, not I'd say weekly feature because we release episodes in a weekly cadence that we like to yell, harass our listeners about, which is give us a review because the reviews help us with visibility. It attracts new listeners. It attracts potential sponsors. It's just better for us that the bigger the amount of reviews we get, the better we feel about ourselves. However, there are notable exceptions to this rule. And Greg Taylor, you left a review on 6-26-2022 on the audible.com website. Uh, I'm glad you have put this on the internet permanently because you're officially dead to me after this review. I will just say this. The review is titled, Todd Made Me Do This. So I'm wondering what Todd would do such a calamitous, dare I say, satanic thing to me. But the review goes as follows. Zhou Guan Yu. Guan Yu Zhou. Zhou Guan Yu, 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 Guan Yu Zhou. Vroom vroom, I love you guys. And really, Greg, we love you too. We appreciate the review, and hopefully I didn't stumble too badly. If I mispronounce any of those, you guys will let me know, I'm sure, in the reviews. And yeah, bring it on, because I'll take all your mispronunciations. <laughs> I said Mazepin. Mazepin. It doesn't matter. You Rakali. See, I butchered that. It's as soon as I get one of these things right, another thing gets fallen by the wayside. So there we go. I wonder what word or concept I will butcher now that I've seemingly figured out how to say Zhou Guan Yu, Guan Yu Zhou. I really didn't think. <laughs> I thought you were going to get a, get at least one of them wrong. Uh, but props to you for getting all of that correct. Uh, I feel like you should have read it a little faster because that would have been... Yeah. Zhou Guan Yu, Guan Yu Zhou. Zhou Guan Yu, Guan Yu Zhou. There you go. That's what I was expecting. That There we are. And that's for our Mandarin and Cantonese audiences. <laughs> yeah. But Thanks, Greg. Thank you, Greg. And thank you, Bobby. We have a more traditional review that we will read next time from one of our other favorite listeners. So we always appreciate these. Please keep them coming in. And then if you can sprinkle in a little bit of humor in terms of phrases you'd like us to incorporate into every show, I have a thirst for them that sometimes pretzels don't quench. I've butchered that, but that's okay. These pretzels are making me thirsty and so are these 
ideas of reviews that are possibly coming into our inboxes. So thank you for that. And Formula One is a complicated sport, but we make the easy things hard and the hard things easy. I think I've lost Nick again. He's just permanently frozen with a look of disgust and apoplectic with rage. Yeah, his face is a shade of pink I've only seen in Crayola color boxes, and it's not even Tickle Me Pink. It's like Pepto-Bismol pink. It says his internet is weak, but his character is strong. So while we wait for Nick to come back, Todd, what else do we have left on our agenda for today? Uh, a couple of things. One thing I wanted to touch on that was pretty interesting. Um, the So we've talked about the, you know, pillars of the next regs or formula of cars. And uh, so there's a guy named by, by, by the name of Patty Lowe, who was... Uh, chief technical officer at Williams. He was something he was at, Williams. at Williams. Yep. He was definitely uh, an engineer at Williams. And then he was the technical officer at uh, McLaren, I think, the first year that Lewis uh, won his championship. And then he joined on at Mercedes doing something. Again, I don't know if he was chief te- technical officer at that time. I think he was. Anyway, he has either founded or is funding uh, a new company called Zero Petroleum Fuels, which they make synthetic fuels. And they were, I think this was at Goodwood this weekend. Um, He was talking to some reporter about it. And they have a company that's working on creating sustainable slash synthetic Uh, fuels for you know the world at large but they two things of interest there they have the world's the Guinness World Record for the longest flight using sustainable fuels or synthetic fuels and he is pressing very hard to get their fuels he would be very excited he said to have the world's first race done on synthetic fuels so it sounds like there's some sort of partnership forming there or he's trying to make it happen but i thought that was really interesting that maybe we aren't gonna go completely electric i mean i don't think it's gonna happen in the next round of regulations anyway in 2026 when we get the new engines but maybe we're looking at this as a course of like for the longest time everyone's talked about formula one as the technology from formula one bleeds down eventually into road cars um and maybe Formula One will be the catalyst, uh, pun intended, there to uh, have synthetic fuels in our road cars. Yeah, I think this is as good as anything in terms of if they truly want to amplify the Sebastian Vettelness of this all, like that's your guy. Like give him the fuel and just say, hey, this upcoming race, pick the most carbon friendly race give him this synthetic uh, synthetic fuel and hope that he does better than the two canadians and be like wow this is such a transcendent moment for the sport this is a transcendent moment for this earth the only thing it's not transcendent for are the two canadians nicholas latifi and lance stroll because this guy beat them on this new fuel but if that is the catalyst for change how what would be the timeline from formula one race to road cars because to your point todd we're not going to see this in 2026. So when are the next uh, accords after that? Is it 2030? Is it every four years, if I remember correctly? 
Well, that's what they're actually they're talking about is being on a 100% renewable or sustainable fuel by the 2026 regs. So this okay. will be the race fuel or something like that will be the race fuel when we hit this new engine regulation era. Um, but it's kind of, I think what you were asking is how far or how long does it till it bleeds into race cars uh, in, in, into, you know, Road regular cars. cars. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know. The, 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 uh, Technology is all obviously far beyond my understanding, but like they, they've talked about how like technology from F1 was, you know, it was in F1 10 years ago and it's now in current cars. So maybe we're looking at in like a decade we have. And if I if, like I said, I am always trying to learn more about the technical aspects of the sport. What is that technology from Formula One 10 years ago that we're now seeing commonplace on the roads, whether it be in Monaco or Portland, Oregon or San Diego? Oh, that that would be a question for somebody much, okay. much more actually involved in, in Formula One. But I know that technology has bled down from oh. Formula One into road cars. So I guess that would be a very interesting thing as well, because if we are to believe that the synthetic fuels are coming in 2026, as well as the fact that there is a new engine overhaul, like are those is this a more action-packed resetting, if you will, of the technical specifications of a car? Or have there been previous precedents set that we thought, holy crap, this is truly going to shape not only the next generation of racing, but the actual automotive and transportation industry? I'm, I'm sure, like, I mean, the current regulations that we're in, as far as the racing goes, it's probably the biggest shakeup we've had in a very, sure. excuse me, very, very long time. Um, from the technology bleeding down for the shakeup in the automotive or transportation industry like I, I couldn't speak to that there's probably so many things that we don't even think about like you know abs or something like super common on all cars now i don't know if that came from formula one but uh i'm just saying something like that is probably in every road car now that we all have that we don't even think about I was just going to say, tell me there's a DRS situation with my Ford Festiva, and I'll be happy to try it out down these uh, winding roads. You know what? Why don't you put a giant wing on your Ford Festiva <laughs> and then report back? You know, I'm going to start a Kickstarter to actually buy a Ford Festiva because much like Nick Engvall, this is a Honda only household. But yes, I'm intrigued by the Festiva project. There I say it, it's a fiesta. <laughs> anyway, I guess how I would phrase it is, what is the next step then? Because if it's now synthetic fuel is coming, like what do you see as the next breakthrough in your generation of watching this? Like five, ten years down the line, like this is the next peak that has to be summited from a technology perspective. I mean, I hope for the sake of racing that it's uh, smaller, lighter cars while still being safe. That's the one of the pillars that they promised, but the cars are just too damn big. Um, I hope that that the next generation of racing or the next generation of cars is somehow, you know, mid 2000s levels size. I mean, <clears throat> because that'll fix a lot of the problems we have now with specific tracks. 
Yeah. Uh, I guess also to me, I'm wondering what the domino effect will be because that was my next question. It's like if we see the change in fuel and car size, I'm assuming we would make adjustments to the track because then the likes of Monaco might be more raceable because the, the thought being that, hey, this car is smaller now. This car is faster now. It's more safe. We're allowing our drivers to be a little bit more in terms of that flirtation between being aggressive and reckless. But yeah, I mean, it's all speculation. This is all fantasy. But I do think that that's something that I'm not used to seeing with the sports that I follow, where we see technology be that catalyst to advance the sport to a new location. Usually in sports, it's either some sort of personnel or tactical revolution that we're going through. So that's something I'll definitely be keeping an eye on going forward. For sure. Tactically, I think the tactics things will be interesting going forward, like this could be part of the technical revolution, but the tires, they've made a very intentional change to the bigger wheel rims and tired compounds and things like that. And they seem to be, this is totally speculation, but it seems like Pirelli's forcing the softer and softer compounds on all these races while still keeping it safe. But, um, we, we saw that in Montreal. We saw that in, what was that before, Baku, where yep. they used the softest compounds mm-hmm. of the five, <clears throat> um, which is was really surprising to me because uh, we had, you know, a couple of pretty scary blowouts last year. Uh, and here I thought technical and tactical evolutions would be the tires are triangles now instead of circles because that would make for some great racing. <laughs> can't, can't reinvent the wheel. I wish we would, Pirelli, do better. But then, I guess, seriously, though, Todd, do you see a situation where today's hard tire may be another generation soft tire or vice versa? Because I'm not that familiar with, like, the technical compounds, but is there a thought that one man's soft is another man's hard if there's a 10-year duration between them? I think Todd's on mute. Yeah, sure am. Uh, I would say no. Unless tire technology advances drastically uh, in the next several years. Like, all racing drivers want a tire that's as soft as possible. Um, You know, the softer the tire, the stickier it is. The stickier it is, the faster you can go around a corner. But they wear out faster. So, we'll see um, where, where that goes but like if they could develop a tire that's super soft and super sticky but lasts 50 laps then maybe that'll change the game who knows yep and i'm shamelessly looking for the inevitable Charmin sponsorship when it comes to those soft soft tires so <laughs> i can only imagine just having the bears on the side of the yeah with the Daniel tire. Ricardo driving by saying i'm Charmin clean <laughs> so i think we've lost Nick, um, for, I don't know if the episode, but he's having internet issues. So I think maybe we just do, uh, Silverstone predictions, talk about Silverstone quickly and then, and then we can wrap up. And as we're doing that, I will text Nick for his predictions. So do you mind starting us off? And how do you want to go about this, Todd? Do you just want to give me your top three and then we'll discuss it and then I'll go ahead and discuss mine. Sure. Uh, I think if, so this is going to be a hot take and I know you love those, but if Ferrari, Ferrari doesn't win this race, 
for whatever reason, I think that the driver or yeah, the drivers championship is all but decided. Okay. Um, unless like Red Bull has, <clears throat> uh, unless Red Bull has uh, just massive technical or mechanical errors going forward in the season, which I don't think they will. Yeah. Um, but I think Ferrari is going to be the fastest car, and therefore I'm going to say Leclerc one. Um, I'll say Max two, and uh, we're going to say Lewis three. Hmm. Because so you think yeah, talk to me. Well, I so again speculation or whatever, but again this was at Goodwood. I saw an interview with James Allison. Uh, who's the chief technical officer, I think, at Mercedes currently. And he's talking about it, saying that he is expecting a very much improved pace-wise car on the Silverstone track because the track characteristics just kind of fit their car. Same thing we saw in Barcelona. They were uh, pretty quick. Um, and then everyone hopped on the Mercedes' back bandwagon uh but i could even see him challenging for in like being near the top two right or being in the mix with like carlos and checo for you know that four five or three three four five whatever but Mm -hmm. i think all things considered lewis knows this track um uh he's tied we were talking about in the pre-show but He's tied with Michael Schumacher for the most wins at a single track with eight at Silverstone and the Hungaro ring, weirdly. Um, but yeah, there it is. That was a lot of rambling for yep. Charles one, Max two, Lewis three. Lewis three. Okay. I, I kind of like that a lot because to me, I want to understand the scope of the Mercedes professional comeback. Like was yesterday or yesterday was the last race a blip or is this a more professional sign of things to come because of the fact that what we've kind of always argued about mercedes this year is the fact that they do a great job of not beating themselves in a year where everybody is beating themselves so as long as they continue that up i would not be surprised if we see some sort of podium representation from them i part of me wants to go extremely chalk and say this is going to be the first race where we'll see that combination of max verstappen perez and then charles leclerc in some sort of order, but I don't like being that chalky. So I'm just going to go completely off the wall in the sense that I'll go, I'll go max one, George Russell two, Carlos signs three, because I just think we need that shot in the arm. And if that comes to fruition, then unfortunately the driver's championship is lost per Todd's criteria, but I think it's been lost now for a couple races. I think the most important and interesting race, though, will not be somebody that's reflected on the podium, but I'm so fascinated by this midfield race. And you and I were chatting about this, Todd, in terms of how is this McLaren-Alpine thing shaping up? Because Alpine feels to be the better team, but McLaren's got them in terms of the points. Like, you being the McLaren guy, me being the Alpine guy, talk me through how McLaren continues to just show up better on these races. Is it the fact that Norris has the one podium, whereas... Esteban Ocon nor Fernando Alonso have any shot of getting one or is there something else that I'm completely missing mm, it could be part partially that I think early season 
early days, as our Brit folks love to say. Um, uh, the, the beginning of the season, Lando or McLaren was, I can't say better prepared because they struggled really bad in preseason testing uh, for various reasons, but Alpine was worse and has since had probably a more unlucky uh, run of things. Like, mm-hmm. either, you know, Fernando's side, side pod getting crushed or engine failures or whatever you want to call it. Um, aggressive driving I, from Ocon, aggressive driving from Fernando. They almost seem to be the bad boys of the track this year because I haven't think I can't think of another team that's lost points based on their aggressive driving behavior. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. We could probably name a couple of the the yep, backfield teams, but yes. but yeah, I think Alpine being behind in the points will not last much longer. I think the car has proved to be obviously the fastest in a straight line and it's getting better in the corners. So I think as far as midfield battle goes, uh, Alpine wipes the floor with McLaren this weekend. Um, I'd be very happy to be wrong, but I think, uh, yeah, for best of the rest, I think we're, we're looking at a Alpine show. Okay. No, it'll be interesting for sure. By the way, as you and I were chatting, we got a text from our team principal, if you will. And if you thought your takes were spicy and you thought my takes were spicy, well, (laughs) Nicholas Bartholomew Engvall, because I'm pretty sure his middle name is Bartholomew, said, hold my ghost pepper because he's come up with the following podium. He's got Charles Leclerc at one, Lewis Hamilton at two, and reaping the fruit he should have sown last race, Fernando Alonso, number three. What are your thoughts on that? Because that truly might be the spiciest prediction I've seen all season. Wow, we would really need some carnage. Uh, as you can't spell carnage without car, so, I mean, this is the sport for it. We would need some serious carnage at the front for that to happen. Mechanical DNFs, racing contact DNFs. Uh, you know, driver mistakes to for Alonzo to beat not only uh, no Sainz, re- yeah, yeah, he'd have to beat Sainz, Perez, and Max to get on the podium. There's uh, uh, wait, who did he say, Russell or Lewis? Lewis, okay, and George Russell to get on the podium. So we're looking at like six seven dnfs in a race for that to happen that is that's bold but hey the alpines fast in a straight line maybe they figured it out in the corners and we'll see magic yeah now i was gonna ask you one last question you know these tracks better than i do like what is the overwhelming characteristic of silverstone and is it the straight line aspect of it or is there something else that may cause a dark horse to kind of prance out of nowhere it's uh, known for, like, obviously it has some pretty long straights, <clears throat> but it is known for high-speed corners. I think it's one of the fastest corners on the track. Uh, actually, the wreck from last year, 
Uh, it's turn four. I don't know the I names. Believe, I believe that's right. It's not Maggot and Bex, is it? Because as much as we like saying that and opening up that brunch bar in Brooklyn, I don't think that is as memorable <laughs> in a sense, in, in the racing sense. It's uh, more memorable in the vernacular sense. Yeah, Maggots and Beckets is not that. Maggots and Beckets is a quick left, left right. Um, uh, I think it's actually Stowe, but I might be wrong. Uh, but it's like a basically full throttle right hand turn at like 170 ish miles an hour. Um, but there's a lot of really high speed corners on that track and that's what it's known for. It'll be really interesting to see this generation of car on that track this year because everyone can follow so much closer. So then the tire, uh, uh, the, the tire, whatever, yeah, degradation, the, the tire strategy will be really interesting for this race. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be an awesome race. And so while I've still got you here, I'm actually looking at the map of Silverstone Circuit. And the right-hander are you referring to, is it the cops? Oh, it might be cops. Might be cops. Turn four. The other one I was thinking about was Village. Now, it feels a little bit past turn four, but... We'll get there, and I'm sure somebody in the listening okay. audience will kind of be like, "You idiots! It's this, and this is turn whatever." So, I think that's Probably. a good enough. Yeah, I think that's a good enough spot to stop. But we wanted to thank you guys for staying with us. This has been kind of a unique episode in the sense that there have been some technical difficulties. But if you've made it all the way to this moment in time, let me know if we're ever in person. I'll buy you an adult beverage of your choice. But before we do any sort of bartering of alcoholic beverages, Todd, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at TZ on Twitter at TZF1. And most importantly, you can check out Exhaust Notes FM on all the major platforms. ExhaustNotes.fm is our website. And uh, leave us a review. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at Rohizi. You can find me on Instagram at Rohadem13. You can find me on the Sneaker History Podcast as well. This is all Nick Engvall's brainchild. And as we mentioned that man's name, I'm truly trying to figure out what I can in terms of his social media presence. And luckily for me, Nick is a very kind, kind person because you can find him on Twitter at Nick Engvall. And I think you can also find him on Instagram at Nick Engvall. But more importantly, please follow us on both the Exhaust Notes and the Sneaker History Instagram accounts. They are the lifeblood that have brought us to you, the listening audience, and we want to continue to make sure we serve you in that regard. So that being said, if there isn't anything else, thank you guys so much for your time, and we'll look forward to seeing you. Fix your damn platform, Xbox, so I can download F122. Zhou Guan Yu, Guan Yu Zhou.